Welcome back, listeners, to a midday edition to the new standard. As always, I have my partner in crime, Neil Kulong, to my left. What's up, Neil? Um, it's a good day, Lance. It's a good day. This is a day we get to talk about Steelers playoff football. It's a day that, as bad as, um, it, it, for the Steelers anyway, as bad as the odds look, um, it, it's a good day because you're talking postseason football. That means somehow you did something right and this is one of the more memorable teams i think that we'll see in pittsburgh in a while and that in and of itself is worth something in my mind yeah the playoffs are that tournament or it kind of feels like uh when that girl you had your eye on or you're a lady that guy you had your eye on um likes you and, and they wink at you and you're like huh i feel a little cute today i never feel happened a little Lance, but i hear you I feel, I feel a little sexy today. The playoffs make you feel a little umph and a little frisky. <laughs> Before we jump into the show, want to give a big shout out to the ladies of Delta Sigma Theta Incorporated. Want to give a big shout out to shout out to them on their Founders Day. So big up to the ladies of Delta Sigma Theta. As always, if you want to join in the experience, go to YouTube and do a search for the new standard and Lance Williams or Neil Kulong and or maybe Steelers and the show should jump up into your little feed or your little queue and when you go there please hit us with a like and subscribe if you want to join the program via podcast platform go to any podcast platform Apple Music Spotify Google whatever whichever one you use do a search for the new standard and Steelers and you will find the show before we jump into this program Neil I wanted to jump into uh, some of the names that uh, a couple of names, maybe the names were listed in terms of uh, this GM search that the Steelers are undergoing while they're in the playoffs because it's been reported. It was reported a couple weeks ago or maybe last week that Kevin Colbert will be stepping down after the draft. And let me add a couple of names. I'm not, I, we may have talked about the one name um, last week, but um Ed Bouchette added the name, and we may have Samir Suleim, Suleiman and Doug Whaley, uh, former general manager of the Buffalo Bills. Did we, did we talk about both of those names? We, we didn't. We didn't go that in-depth in it. It happened, um, I, I think, like right uh, before the game on Sunday, and we did a post-game show, which we didn't expect them to have qualified for the playoffs. So we remember we chucked the format like right. five minutes before the game right. ended. Yeah, yeah, we absolutely Maybe even agree. as the game ended, because yes. even before the field goal, we didn't expect them to win. So we didn't dive into that a whole lot, but uh, there are names, there are interesting candidates. Uh, Samir Suleiman was uh, the cap guy for the Steelers for about a decade, uh, working under Omar Khan who was hired away by David Tepper and the Carolina Panthers. You might remember David Tepper as a former minority owner of the Steelers who Tepper bought school. the Panthers Carnegie and uh, took, yep, took Suleiman with him uh, to be his cap guy over there. So uh, from that, I know that the Steelers replaced that position. I don't recall the guy's name off the top of my head, but um, Khan has been the guy who's generally seen as um, the, the overall architect of uh, the Steelers salary cap. And what that means is all of the little machinations and you know tricks, if you will, the accounting that goes into that uh, went through Khan, essentially. His title right. is the vice president of football and business administration. 
uh, the salary cap falls underneath that. That does not mean that cap in uh, con in and of himself is responsible for the cap. Salary cap is maintained by probably 40 people. It, it's, it's a huge undertaking and it's a lot of accounting. It's a lot of numbers and it's a lot of legalese, things that you and I, Lance, probably couldn't do, but we can talk about yeah. it. Yeah. And with that, it is something that is a part generally of uh, general managers, overall effectiveness, efficacy on a team. So you can understand why Omar Khan has been a guy who's interviewed uh, off the top of my head for at least two other general manager jobs. I know he did it with uh, the Panthers at one point pre-Tepper, and I know he did it with the Jets. And it uh, sounds like he's set up to interview with the Bears as well. Yes. Um, <clears throat> the, Let me say uh, this. Let me say this before you continue. The interesting thing in Ed Bouchette's article on The Athletic is – he did two things. One that was very interesting was he did not mention Omar Khan's name, which tells me that Omar Khan probably may get the, the Bears job and that he's not listing him because he thinks he's going to get hired away. Um, and two, he went on to really illustrate the Steeler, Western Pennsylvania, damn near Northside connection between the former GMs, quote unquote GMs, because I think that um, uh, I think nobody had the title before Colbert, but quote unquote GMs. And, and I didn't know that Colbert was a North side guy. Yeah. Um, of course, the Rooney's uh, younger brother, I think his older brother uh, was the GM for years. Um, Donahoe has ties to Pittsburgh mm -hmm. and to Pennsylvania and, and damn near too. the North side. And I didn't know that Donahoe's, his grandfather was former governor of Pennsylvania and was a friend of the Rooney's. I didn't know that until I read that article. So I think he did a good job of framing it, that it's probably going to be the guy who has Pittsburgh ties, strong Pittsburgh connections, so on and so forth. So that sounds like Brandon Hunt is going to be the next GM of the Steelers. Now, if we could add to that, though, I, I agree with that, and I would have told you up and down that Omar Khan is the guy. I'm going to add this wrinkle to it. One, I have a source that says uh, Hunt has been tabbed the guy for a while now, and they're aware of it, and that's what's happening. Uh, whether Khan gets the Chicago job or not, whether he was in the running for the Steelers job or not, it's not a surprise that Omar Khan is being interviewed somewhere. We know that. Yes. That said, what I have heard inside the organization is they are uh, they're, they're going to hire Brandon Hunt. And at first, that seems kind of crazy, but let me throw this at you, Lance. If you have a head coach with a long track record of success, you're hiring a general manager, not a head coach. Are you going to bring in somebody that I, I'm not trying to, to – I can't think of another term to say this, but you, you want to avoid a power struggle, okay? Yeah, absolutely. If Kevin Colbert leaves, it's not the next general manager that's taken over for Kevin Colbert. It's Mike Tomlin. Yes. So Tomlin is going to have the, the yeoman's share of that. Now, two different ways to look at it like that. If you are saying essentially your head coach, Mike Tomlin, is the guy who's going to kind of, you know, I'm going to have final say over these things. Somebody has to kind of serve in that role, whether anybody ever pulls that card. Somebody has to. And it's kind of been said that, that Colbert and Tomlin were sort of equals in that regard. And it's understandable why. They've both been there forever. You, you kind of have to after a while with the head coach. So if you're bringing in a new general manager, the same as when you had Colbert in charge and you brought in a new head coach, that guy isn't going to have the bulk of the decisions right away. If no, that's the case, 
And I, I hate all. to say, I hate, to, wow, is that a nautical term? I've never known what that's mean. Yeoman's share. I just hear that somewhere. Yeah, I just Sorry. heard that. Yeah. Anyway, um, if you're doing, you have to almost kind of think cost is an issue, right? Omar Khan is going to cost a lot more money than Brandon Huntwood as a general manager. And that's one of those decisions, unfortunately, that's oftentimes made for the candidate. You deserve more money. We're not going to hire you because we don't want to pay you that much. Well, I'll take less. No, we're not going to do that. Eventually, you're going to get offered more and you're going to leave. The decision the Steelers have to make is knowing you've got two of them in-house who are both widely regarded as, as future general managers in the NFL. Everybody says that about Brandon Hunt. Everybody says that about Omar Khan. You've got two of them there. What you're thinking is, I need the one that's going to last, that's going to be here for a while. And my head coach is probably going to take over the football stuff. Hunt is probably more your guy. He's probably more your candidate. And you're going to justify paying him a lot less, maybe even half as much. Khan on the open market should be worth a lot. Khan has overseen a, a successful team. Yes, I know they didn't win Super Bowls. Okay, I'm aware of that. That is, believe it or not, not the only definition of success in the NFL. Otherwise, yes, nobody is. would ever get a job. Yes, so in, in Khan's case, I don't know whether he'll get the Chicago job or not, but I'm willing to bet if he's offered, he's going to take it this time. So what that really means is the Steelers are going to kind of, well, they're, they're still playing, so they're not going to make decisions on this now. I think Hunt has been the guy tabbed to be the, the next one up. And with that, Khan is not. So Khan, I don't think it's a surprise. Khan was one of the first guys named uh, to be a, a, a general manager candidate somewhere else. He was one of the first guys requested of interviews. And in that, it, it really is suggesting that Khan's not the Steelers guy. And I, I think it's mostly because they don't, the Steelers don't need him to be Kevin Colbert. Most of Kevin Colbert's stuff, football-wise, is going to go on Tomlin. What they need is the business and and some scouting organization and all that stuff. And all that is is right up Brandon Hunt's alley. So to be honest, I, I think it is Hunt. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. I mean, it makes sense to me. I mean, I, I thought it was pretty obvious that Khan's name was not mentioned in the article. And I, and I just took that as the case of it's not definitely going to be Khan. It's probably going to be Hunt based on our conversations and some other stuff that I read. And also, when you look at the power structure, you know, it makes sense that, you know, the three most tenured guys on the football side for the Pittsburgh Steelers was Ben Roethlisberger, oh, wow. who will be leaving, Colbert, who will be leaving, and Mike Tomlin. It's the three-headed monster. So you'll make it Tomlin, and Tomlin will probably report directly to Dan Rooney. I mean, so, um, excuse me, Art Rooney. Um, so, you know, that's how you work. You would, you, there was no, there's no way in the world you would make Tomlin report to any new GM. Exactly. And if you know, that's the case, you have a head coach and a general manager that are then both reporting to the owner. If that's the right. case, not much of a point in paying the general manager all that much, right. you know. Can I break in with some breaking news here, Lance? Absolutely, this, since you already know... broke. So I, I love it because you're breaking news at the top of the program. You're breaking that your source is naming, going to name Brandon Hunt. Um, to think about Brandon Hunt, it's going to be the GM. So go ahead and break some more news. Um, I, I think you'll see exactly why I'm bringing this up right away. But the Houston Texans have fired head coach David Culley after one season in Houston in what I would describe as a completely unwinnable, untenable situation. For them to get rid of their head coach now, um, not even a week after the season, but not immediately as well, 
I'm losing track, Lance, and it's kind of embarrassing the fact that I don't know because there aren't any, but I think there are only two black head coaches in the NFL right now, <laughs> and that's a real problem. That's, that's Tomlin and uh, I uh, think it was Brian Flores, but he's gone. Nope, um, fired him too. <laughs> Tomlin, I'm trying to think. Oh um, this is insane. I mean, it's it's, it's it's not it's not coming to me off the top of my head. So maybe there isn't one. Are, um, can somebody please help us here? We really should know this. I you know I'm not. I swear there were two because I thought there were four, and two of them are now fired. There's got to be another one. I don't remember who it is. <laughs> so it said Breaking Bad. Double eight said Breaking Bad, not Breaking News. Well, yeah, in this we'll case. we'll let somebody come up with the names, but I think that um, I, I think it may just be Tomlin. I wouldn't be surprised. And and I had a discussion with my cousin about Brian Flores and Brian Flores. And his, his thought was, well, Brian Flores will get a job very soon. I'm like, this is the National Football League. Yeah, this is a there's... league where there's been maybe 20 <laughs> African-American head coaches in his history. It's he's, hard he's one after... of the best in terms of win percentage. He's exactly. one of the best ones. <laughs> so, and I'm, so I'm saying it's not easy for African-American coaches to become head coaches. And I think largely right now, I don't think it has anything with the Rooney rule. I don't think it has anything with anything else. But I think it largely has – and why you find that to be the case is there are no African-American offensive coordinators except Brian, uh, Brian Leftwich. And right now with the offensive revolution in football, owners want – they want coaches from the offensive side of football. And uh, African-American coaches tend to be DCs and, and tend to be on the defensive side of the football because that's where the opportunity was. And African-American coaches took the opportunity and have flourished in it. But the coaching hires aren't coming from that side of the ball. But let's switch reels and let, let's let's jump into the game. And before we jump into the game, I want to give – and I can't remember the guy's name because you commented on Twitter – the guy gave a uh, a breakdown, a statistical breakdown of every team in the playoffs. I wish I had the guy's Twitter <laughs> handle. If I have it, if you hear the show and you did the chart, hit me up and I will give you your proper credit. And he broke down the statistics and rankings of both teams um, or every playoff team on the offense and defensive side of the ball. And thank you, Melvin. Melvin uh, said that Tomlin is the only black head coach in the National Football League. And I don't know, Mel, if you if you heard me or not, but I did give a big shout out to the ladies of Delta Sigma Theta, your sister sorority. Um, And so when you look at the statistical uh, comparison between um, the Kansas City Chiefs and the Pittsburgh Steelers, you kind of get a sense of why there is a 12 and a half point spread in addition to they played two weeks ago. And so he broke it down in terms of the pass, the run O line receivers, and he averaged it out on the offensive side of the football. And this is just NFL stats. Uh, Kansas city was ranked 12th to the Steelers 30th uh, in the running game, 17 to 25 O line two to 19 and I'm not sure how he got that metric. Receivers, he ranked the Chiefs as eight, the Steelers as 30. The average was on the offensive side of football, 10 versus 26. 10 for Kansas City, 26 for Steelers. On defense, Kansas City 21st, Steelers 19th. Against the run, 
Steelers 28th, Kansas City 26th. Um, tackling, I don't know how he did it, but the overall rank, he had it as 22 to 21. And the average rank between both teams was 15.1 to 23.9 over these metrics. And I think what you see when you see a matchup between the two teams is it makes sense that it's 12 and a half points. And so it makes me ask you the first question that I wanted to ask you, because I think you have some insight because you've had more contact and more uh, you're you're you've been in positions to able to get this information, to be able to answer this question in a game within the past two weeks. In a game which you got beat pretty handily, I believe the final score was 36-10. How does a staff go into formulating a game plan in a game that you just played so recently and in a game in which you got dominated? You have to watch the film of the game you played against them, for sure. And you need to watch the rest of the film. Um, that's always the answer. You're going to sit down and, and study and analyze what they're doing, what they're good at, what you would think that they would do. Let me add this. Let and, me add this, Neil. Let me add this, Neil. Also in a game where they didn't have Travis Kelsey <laughs> and Tariq Hill. Like, how do you think, conceptually, I don't think enough is being said about that either. <laughs> you know, how do you conceptually put that together? How does the staff go about doing that? It, it's you. You remove kind of the, the fan fueled emotion um you're not looking at the point spread but you also know what you're looking at um travis travis kelsey is as much a dude as there is in the nfl tyreek hill is about as unstoppable a receiver as there is in the nfl um on top of that patrick mahomes is another world player and oh by the way chris jones is is the cam hayward of kansas city and they've got players around him as well and it, it, it's it's a kind of a boom or a bust defensive team, but they can play. Um, they are they don't have a whole lot of weaknesses in three phases of the game. You're looking at, my opinion, the most complete team in the NFL. Um, you have to study and analyze what they're doing, and you have to prepare your people to, to go against it. There's no magic wand with this. You don't come up with this brilliant strategy that nobody ever thought of before, you know? This isn't William Wallace introducing war tactics that the English never saw. You, you're not able to do that. You've got to be able to Brave execute heart, what you do well and hopefully get out there and do it well. And even then, Steelers probably won't win. I mean, it, it's you don't see matchups like this in the playoffs very often, but Kansas City is considerably better than Pittsburgh is. Pittsburgh doesn't – I don't want to say they don't belong there, but obviously in a six-seed uh, conference tournament, they're not in it. And the way they got in – it really is kind of strange. I don't know what happened with with Los Angeles. The Chargers, Chargers are a much better team than than one that's sitting and watching the game. We know that because we saw them manhandle the Steelers for most of the game. Um, they are the better team, in my opinion. The Steelers did enough and went above and beyond the 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 sum of their parts to get where they are, and that's great. But you have a, a ginormous difference in talent in this game at the NFL level, which is not to say college ginormous talent difference is a 50 point game. This let me, would be let me pause you real a three quick, touchdown you, game. Let me pause you real quick. Cause you, you made the comment about the Steelers. They're there. They don't have to apologize, but you also made a comment about just what this team is. And that if it was a six game, if it was a six team tournament, like it typically is, 
you know, this team is not, you know, participating in the playoffs. Let me let me let me bolster that point by reading this. Steelers went nine, seven, and one. They went two, oh, and one in overtime. They won one game on a field goal with 26 session, seconds left. They won another game when they stopped a two-point conversion with 12 mm-hmm. seconds left. Their seven losses were by 102 points. <laughs> and they averaged 14.6 so in awesome. those losses. Such a great stat. And people are – so that that's what this team is. But uh, the bigger point is – it doesn't matter really because it none of that counts. None of that you don't take any of that other than what you are pers- personnel wise, you know, into the playoffs. None of those numbers matter. But to your point, it's going to be very difficult. I watched the game back on the offensive side of the ball. Here's one thing that I thought that they could do. And I love the statement. And let me, let me find a statement. And let, let me read this statement uh, from Ben Roethlisberger, if I can find it. We're probably 20-point underdogs. We don't have a chance. So let's go in and have fun. And I love that he made that comment. Because when I watched the game, it felt like, that's the type of game that they have to play offensively. That they have to be way more aggressive in the passing game if they're going to have a chance to win this game. Namely, they're going to have to attack the middle of the field in the passing game. And Ben Roethlisberger is going to have to throw the ball beyond the sticks on third down. Now, that may sound very simple, but I challenge all of you, go back and watch the Kansas City game. Look at all of the third down pass attempts. I'll tell you, 75 to 80% of them were below the sticks. They've got to get way more aggressive in the passing game because I don't care how well the defense plays, they're going to have to score a bunch of points in this game to win. And I, I think... I love that quote because I think this could be Ben's last game. And I love the fact that he's looking at it like that. And hopefully that translates itself to being way more aggressive in the passing game. From your thoughts of looking at the first game, what do you see and what offensive adjustments do you think they can make? Um, I, I hate to be glib, but none. They, they, they Everything you said, they would have done it. If they could do that, if they felt that that was reasonably possible for them to do, they would have done it. They didn't do it over 17 games now for a reason. They yes. can't. They're not able to. They don't have the personnel. They don't have the protection. Their quarterback can't throw the ball. That's why they average five and a half yards an attempt, which is, I believe, the lowest in the league. Or at the very least, if it's not the lowest, every other team around them at that number does not have nine wins. Okay. They're, they're not going to be able to put up a bunch of points. They're not good enough to do that. Um, I am not saying that Kansas city has the best defensive team in the field. They definitely do not. Uh, They're a decent defensive team. They can make plays on the ball. And in order 
Look, you can't stand toe to toe with Patrick Mahomes and and throw. You just, you're not going to be able to. They're going to need to control the clock. They're going to need to steal a couple possessions and not give up any on their own. And they're going to have to be consistent with moving the ball, which is to me no three and outs. You need to convert all your field goals and you need to score a couple touchdowns just to to be to remain kind of competitive. And that's asking a lot. Uh, I, they're going to have to ask their defense to win this game because Pittsburgh's offense isn't very good. Exactly as the, the stats that you indicated, they didn't score and their defense gave up a bunch when they lost. They were close competitive games that they won that probably shouldn't have even happened that way. And on top of that, they had to make a bunch of plays and things had to really go in their favor in order to beat average teams. You know, Tennessee, we've talked about this, that that's one of the biggest fluke games we're ever going to see the Steelers win. But to beat Kansas City, they're going to need something like that, in in my opinion. Um, Let me give you timely plays, and you have to make you have to win all your specials. That that's really what it comes down to. Before we get to that, let me give you the yards per attempt for the playoff teams. And Mm -hmm. number one in football is are the Bengals uh, at eight point seven, and then you got the Forty Niners at eight point six, the Rams at eight point one. The Cardinals at 7.8. You got the Patriots at 7.7. Raiders at 7.7. Cowboys 7.7. Packers 7.6. Buccaneers at 7.4. The Chiefs at 7.3. And you have the Bills at 6.8. And of course, the lowest are the Steelers, who would be 30th in the National Football League at six yards per attempt. And that beats. That is 0.2 yards per attempt greater than the New York Giants. So you were pretty spot on with that stat. In terms of the running game on the offensive side of football, how do you think, and I'm going to assume, and I've heard Tomlin be coy with some of his comments, I'm going to assume that Hassenhauer and LeGlue will still be the starters going into the game. Um, I don't think they ran it very well in the first game. Najee Harris did have 19 yards for 93, one of his better games. But overall, that was that was really weird because they had a, a long run of 21 for Najee and a, and a long run of 17 yards for Mason Rudolph. And they did have 130 yards in a game and average 5.2. So a, a little misleading there. Uh, with LeGlue and Hassenhauer, do you think they will be able to run the ball a little bit better than they did in the first matchup? Uh, <laughs> um, okay. Whatever happened in the first matchup, nothing. They didn't go well. I mean, it, it's it, it would seem to be an effort on their part to do worse than what they did in the first game. So I, I'm not sure that that's exactly what you're asking. I think they're going to need to do better. That's going to have to be an emphasis because they're going to have to control the ball. They're going to have to to play uh, defensive football on offense, which means get to third down and convert. Um, don't turn the ball over, which probably yeah, means they're not going to try to to go anything deep. Not that they ever do. Um, they, they're going to have to possess uh, and and manage this game. That means yeah, the running a, game. Yeah, it's so, a TLP game on both sides of the ball. They're going to have to kind of cat and mouse it on both sides of the ball, in my opinion. Keep like it if, on If offense. Kansas City wants to kill them, they can. I mean, just the, the, you put Hill and, and Kelsey on the field at the same time. We, we've seen it a bunch, you know, over the years. They shred people. You know, I, I, I saw Patrick Mahomes play 
one of the best quarters of football that could possibly be played in a game against the Raiders, where literally I was flipping between games. Every time I came back to the Kansas City game, Mahomes was throwing a touchdown pass. They scored 28 in that quarter alone, and they got only one takeaway out of that, I think. They forced three punts, and Mahomes just kept destroying them down the field. They have that capability, and they can utterly destroy this defense with those guys on the field if they want to do that. I don't know how much they're going to lay out there. I don't know how much Andy Reid, a Super Bowl-winning coach, plenty of success lately. I don't know how much he wants to lay down on film in, in the first round of the playoffs when they have to play another round. So to me, more than anything, they're going to want to get ahead and, and milk a clock. They're not going to want to show uh, a, a whole lot out of their passing game in this game because they know Pittsburgh can't score. It, it's They don't need many points. They can get to 21 and feel probably pretty good that they're going to win the game. Yeah, that was the interesting thing that I took away from the first matchup is that there wasn't really a lot of urgency from either team in the game. It was kind of, okay, we're out 17, nothing. If they can stop us, fine. We pretty much know we can stop them. But if they can't, you know, we're going to run some basic stuff and, you know, whatever. Whatever happens, happens. We, we pretty much got this game in hand. It felt that type of way in the first matchup. So from your perspective and what it sounds like to me is it's a TLP game on the offensive side of football where you're trying to make it ugly, you're trying to have long drives, and you're hopefully trying to get it in the red zone and possibly convert a touchdown here and there. So to that point, how important is special teams? How important is the return game? for the Steelers where they can cheat some additional yards and get some better field position. Cause you know, that might be an opportunity for them to get into some more advantageous areas of the football field to have shorter drives and potentially make a play here or there and try to help in a system to score. You go back to the bills game. Uh, what we discussed in, in week one, how did Pittsburgh win that game? They blocked a punt and scored a touchdown. Otherwise they probably don't win. Um, you play that game again. I don't, think that they win it. Buffalo is a, a better team than Pittsburgh is, but it, special teams has to be a, a critical component of this simply because every, any chance at all that Pittsburgh could have to score, they're going to have to take advantage of that. Um, I don't, it, you know, I, I think Ray Ray McLeod, when he catches the ball, at least I think he does pretty well as a return guy. I don't see him breaking one for, for six. Um, their special teams has blocked two punts this year. They've shown that they can do that. They can get after it in that way. Maybe that's something that, that they can cook up. You know, maybe there is something that they can do. That's all specific to, you know, their opponent, how they're blocking things, how they run things. We'll see. But if, if I'm Mike Tomlin, I am, I'm leaving the idea of playing conservatively in the locker room. He's going to have to take chances. He's going to have to risk losing 55 to three that's for the sake of – Going for it on fourth down, fake punts. They're going to have to. They're going to have to steal possessions. This team just simply does not match up. I understand where they are. I understand that they, they, it doesn't matter that they have no business being here. They are here. I'm not disputing whether they should be playing in the game or not because they are. You're right. I mean, it makes no difference otherwise. They can't beat this team without something dramatic, a lot of dramatic things. They have to manufacture that. And that, that means taking risks. And if it doesn't and work out, fine. They're going to lose anyway. But they, they're not why, going to win without that. 
And that's why I love, you know, when I was talking about earlier, that's why I love Ben Roethlisberger's quote. I mean, I think it's going to take, yep. look, if we don't think we can do it, hell with that. Hey, if we lose, we're going to lose. But hell, we 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 have to try to me to be more aggressive in the passing game. Now, if we can't pass protected and we have to adjust, but we we've got to be more aggressive and attack more areas in the passing game. Let's switch to the defensive side of football. I think in the last game, what you saw was a lot of two man coverages. A lot a lot of two man. You saw a lot of split safety coverages. And I thought that the approach was really a game of we want to keep everything in front of it. We want to tackle the catch. And if we're going to do anything exotic or or try to get pressure on you in any type of way, we'll do it in the red zone. Um, but what I found in watching the game, one of the most disappointing things in the game was the lack of pressure. They got two sacks and two quarterback hits, but I think the sacks came in the first quarter and in the fourth quarter. So there was generally no pressure on Patrick Mahomes over the course of the game. Back foot hit, he was patting the ball, and he was going full full, full field read. There was just no pressure. Um, if you had told me T.J. Watt was in the game, I wouldn't have believed you because I really didn't see T.J. Watt at all. There was no pass rush. The other thing that happened in the game, they played a lot of too high safety, and they still, um, when they were playing too high safety, they couldn't handle the run. Uh, Kansas City still ran the ball pretty successfully. So my thing is, when I text you, I thought that the game plan that they had the idea is we will give up drives to not give up explosive plays. We'll give up drives and we'll try to hunker down in the red zone and hold you to field goals. I thought the first drive was kind of the thought that they had where Kansas City had like a six, seven, eight play drive held the ball for a large portion of the quarter, but I think they got a penalty in the red zone, which gave Kansas City a new set of downs, and they end up scoring. And then Ben Roethlisberger throws the pick on the next possession. They get the ball back. Now it's 14 nothing. But the one thing we know is they can't turn it over if they have any chance of winning. But That's... they got to get hot in the pass rush. They, they really yep. have to get hot exactly. in the pass rush because they're going to play coverage. And I don't think you have any other chance. You can't play too much cover one or cover three because you're going to get killed. You're going to get killed over top. They're going to throw it over your head. They're going to play a lot of two, two split safety coverages, whether it's two, four, six, hybrid coverage, whatever they want to do it. They're going to play those safety back and try to keep everything in front. But the pass rush has got to get hot. Do you envision them? Getting more pressure on Mahomes this game, is there any way that you would think they would adjust it in terms of trying to get pressure on Mahomes? Do they blitz more or are they just trying to get more consistent coverage with four? I mean, how do you see it when you look at this game? I, I think it, it, the direction of a lot of what they would want to do with their front seven will change with the fact that T.J. Watt is, at the very least, more healthy than he was the last game. Right. So – uh, how much impact he's able to make. I thought he, he did a couple things against Baltimore that made you think, you know, he, he's on the right path. Now that changes things. He is a, a one, one play disruptor. He is a guy that can flip the game on its head on one play, exactly as Melvin Ingram ironically did for Kansas city against Denver. They won that game because of the play that, that Ingram made Watt can do that. So you have to find ways 
to put him in a position to succeed. A lot of what the Steelers do is they, they line him up wider than the tight end. You wouldn't normally do that. You'd normally be on the outside shoulder of uh, the offensive tackle or seven technique spot. Um, the reason they do that is Watt is able to draw attention from the tight end and it doesn't let the tight end just release straight down the field. When that tight end is Travis Kelsey, that's a huge difference. If he has to help on Watt, if he has to chuck Watt before going out, it slows him down a little bit. Watt is fast enough to make up that gap and also take on um, the offensive tackle who will then drop down after the tight end releases. This is interesting as well, because when we get into who's getting double teamed and who isn't, that technically shouldn't count as a double team. He's not being engaged at the same time by two defenders, which is what the definition of a double team is. It, when he lines up wide, which he does, when they put the, the tight end on, the, on his side, uh, the strong side of the field, he will line up outside the tight end. The tight end will block him first in release. Then Watt will go upfield to meet the tackle, who will then block him. He's taking on two guys, and he has to beat both of them to get to the quarterback, but it's not a double team. That's an effective strategy defensively to slow down a tight end. It also makes you look a lot more one-handed than uh, otherwise what you probably would be able to do. There is some schematic advantage, I think, to that uh, against a team like Kansas City that gets as many targets deep down the field as it does because Travis Kelsey is, is inhuman for the most part. They would have to run 12 personnel to put two tight ends on the field to move Watt outside. Otherwise, you're taking Watt on in, in single coverage. And not to, to say, um, shoot, I, I know, I, I forget who the, the Chiefs' right tackle is, but not to, to speak poorly of him, but TJ Watt's a defensive player of the year for a reason. He's going to be. Um, putting one guy like that on him, that, that you're going to pay for that eventually. You won't do what the Chargers did against Mason Crosby? No, probably not. <laughs> probably not. So the idea is if they want to go on the wide field, if they want to put Kelsey over there, Watt is going to line up outside him and take away that outside release. So Kelsey can go straight up and you get into the same problem of Watt just with another step and a better angle to get to the quarterback on your tackle. Or Kelsey has to spend a second to, to block Watt before releasing, and he doesn't make a quarter of the depth that he would if he had just an open release. Right. So right. I think there is a matchup advantage there for the Steelers just because of how unique of a player uh, Watt is. And that's true you know, most of the time. He's always going to have that advantage. And he's wrecked a, a couple teams' offensive plans because of who he is. It's not an every down kind of thing, though. Um, great example is that Seattle game. Watt made a play, I think, in, in uh, uh, the first quarter early on in that game. We didn't hear from him much until overtime. In overtime, he completely destroyed them. They won the game because of T.J. Watt in overtime. So Watt can make that kind of impact for you, but there are a lot of other components that you're going to need as well. Coverage is going to be a big part of this, too. Tyreek yes. Hill is about as unguardable a receiver as there is in the game. You can get him short, medium, long. He can run whatever route. There's a quarterback with a, an insane ability to deliver the ball on target from anywhere uh, on the field. We didn't that's, talk about injuries. Tough. We didn't talk about injuries, but I know he had an issue with his ankle. Um, I didn't mm -hmm. take a look at the injury report, but I'm, I, I'm presuming that he is going to be ready and available to play in the game um, on Sunday. Any um, key matchups on both sides of the ball that you're focusing on? But before that, did you see on the Steelers website uh, that Juju might have a possibility of returning to the game? Uh, that Juju, um, that they Steelers started his uh, 
21 day window. Yeah, I want to bring that up as as well. Um, Juju practiced today, and that means they activated him off of injured reserve, and he has three weeks to be added to the active roster. And in that time, he is allowed to practice. I would say, uh, on one hand, we've known there was a possibility he could come back. Um, That said, this would be the time that you would activate him if you want him ready to play in the Super Bowl. If, if you need that much time, this is when you would do it. I would say this is purely administrative more than anything else. Um, it allows him to go out there and, and practice because he's ready to go out and practice. We don't know if that means, you know, he, he's able to go fully. Um, it, it might help to know that Deontay Johnson did say he felt that, that Juju was ready. Um, I don't think that means anything at all. I also don't think the Steelers would have uh, Juju play on uh, two days of practice. So, I don't think it would be this week in the off chance they win this game. Um, it's a fair question. We'll we'll see what would happen at that point. But uh, it, it's good to get him out there just to see where he is uh, post-injury. I think that, that's probably more of what that would mean. Uh, but you do get, you know, a look at him post-surgery, um, physical out playing um, before he reaches free agency. You've got control over him. It's not impossible that they bring him back either. Maybe they, they see that he's healthy again and they're going to drop probably a, a – a better plan for him next year when they're not giving him two handoffs in the first five plays of the game, they're, they're able to, to maybe, you know, craft something a little bit more uh, beneficial to him as a player, as opposed to whatever they were doing. Um, It's, it's exciting. It's fun. I definitely think they could use him, but I I don't think the plan is to plan this week. I think it's just because they can, they can get him out on the field and he's able to, to do some things and they want to let him get some work in. Well, they they would be handing the ball off to him anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Surgically repaired shoulder. Get out there. Avoid that edge player. They'd be handing it off. But let's go back to the original question. Any matchup in particular um, you're looking at on both sides of the ball that may be key to a Steeler victory? Um, I I think it really is. Steeler's strength is is Watt. That's about it. Um, They don't have a whole lot else, to be honest. Um, Cam Hayward is a dominant player. Uh, the Chiefs have a really good offensive line. They, they run really good protection. Um, very smart running back, very smart quarterback, and they've got great uh, auxiliary receivers. There are a lot of guys that can make plays on that offense. So well, here's another here's <laughs> Steel, Steeler Nation can also get excited about uh, Cam versus Creed again. Yep. That matchup that uh, Steeler Nation was so uh, hot about and, and Creed Humphrey. Um, like when I look at the game, I don't think there's any particular matchup. I would agree outside of Watt. Watt has to get hot, and uh, I think the pass rush really has to get hot in this game because yep. you and you have to do it in a very smart way because you can't compromise your coverage because they'll just beat you over the top. I mean, it is very difficult to run cover one, cover three against them. I mean, this is a team where. You know, cover two, cover four, cover six. That's quarters, cover two, and then cover six is a combination of the two. I mean, this this is a team that, you know, two safeties, shell coverages was made for. And I think another thing that they really have to do is they have to tackle much better in this game. You know, famously in the first matchup, Hilaire uh, made three guys miss on a five-yard run into the end zone for a touchdown. They really have to tackle. They have to be – they cannot be highly penalized in the game. Um, 
And I think as we get to our game predictions, they're going to have to steal some possessions. Um, and I think they're going to have to score or close to score in a non-conventional way where it's an interception, um, it's a punt return, or it's a kickoff return. They're going to have to get seven to 10 points, in my opinion, outside their offense or their offense is going or, or some other their defense or special teams is going to have to set their offense up to get an easy score where they don't have to drive the ball uh, a long amount of yardage. I think also Alex Highsmith may have to have the best game that he's ever played. He's going to have to be red hot when they slide protect. He's going to have to win that one-on-one and go to work. Um, I know that James Galway said run the ball, but they can't run the ball consistently. If they could run the ball consistently, they'd be a much better football team. And if the one answer was just run the ball, hell, they win every game, not because they can't run it. So <laughs> this is a very tough matchup. And I'll toss it to you. What's your overall thoughts on the game? And then give me your prediction. Uh, my overall thoughts on the game is simply that the Kansas City Chiefs are uh, an excellent football team. They're, they're well coached. They have great balance on both sides of the ball. Uh, they are a playmaking unit. They, are, they can be a, a dominant defensive team. They can make plays at every level on both sides of the ball. They're they're tough. I honestly, I think they're going to win the Super Bowl. So I I, I think it's um, as we saw a couple weeks ago, not a very good matchup for the Steelers overall. Uh, perhaps Baltimore is. Perhaps Tennessee is. That's that's why they're able to win those games. But uh, Kansas City is just simply not. They're they're not going to struggle a whole lot to to beat Pittsburgh in this game. Uh, my prediction. Um, I'm holding back. I think it's going to be a bloodbath early. I think Kansas City is going to jump all over them, and they'll coast to, to uh, probably like a 34-17 to 17 win. That's what I'm thinking. I think it's going to be a little bit closer. But I don't think the Steelers are going to win. And it's largely because of their offense. I think their defense will hold up a little bit, and, and, and then the dam will break because – I think the Steelers are going to have a hard time sustaining drives. They're going to have their defense out playing a lot of possessions. Um, time of possession is going to get skewed. A lot of stuff. I just don't really, you know, it's like what you said. This matchup is pretty bad. I don't think the Steelers have an advantage anywhere in the matchup outside of the coaching matchup might be about even. I mean, I think when you look at the 12 and a half point spread, I mean, you're talking minus 800 on the money line, meaning you would have to bet 800 bucks to get 100 bucks. I mean, that just tells you there's a difference in these teams. It's a very bad matchup for the Steelers. And even if the Steelers, I think, played their best defensive game of the year, I still have significant questions about their offense. I just don't have confidence that this offense can go and get me 24 points on the road unless you get a pick six, you get a kick, a punt return, or something like that. I don't think Kansas City is going to feel like it's in peril at any point in time um, in this game. Uh, and, and Let's Toast Media said uh, the key to the Steelers' victory when they went 11-0 is dink and dunk, then get the ball out quick, 27-23. 
Well, they've dink and dunked this entire season. I mean, that's yeah, pretty much what the offense is. Say they're not doing uh, that. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean they, their yards per attempt is six yards per attempt. I mean, which that's is, dink which is and horrendously dunk. low. There, there were games in which no Steelers receiver had more than than ten yards a catch. I mean, they 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 dink and dunk plenty. It's not not a worry about that. In those yeah. games, your defense needs to be well ahead of the opposing defense in order to win. They're they're going to have to steal the ball. And they're going to have to force a bunch of three and outs. They, they have to play field position football because you're not moving it. You're not able to. It, it's not easy to score on 13 play drives. You know, and if you aren't moving the ball in chunks, eventually you're going to get caught. Eventually they're going to sack you. Eventually you're going to turn the ball over. So it, it's think, that's what the Steelers are. I mean, they just don't make plays on offense. You know, and I, and I, and I thought to myself uh, in terms of their offense, I, I thought the number that hit me in the head was like 13 or 14. And that is the number of possessions that I think the Steelers would need in this game to win this game. And if you get 14 possessions, that pretty much means that Kansas City would probably have 10, 9. You know, in a given, in a given game, there's no more – typically there's no more than 25 possessions. That's a ton of possessions between both teams in a game. Typically it's around 11, 10, 12, maybe an 11. You don't get to 25. But this is a game where, again, Steelers can't turn it over and they're going to have to get, in my opinion, up to 13, 14 possessions to have a chance. If I went to bed and somebody hit me over the head and I woke up and I saw that the Steelers have 14 possessions in the game, I'd say they lost by three. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's what I would say. I wouldn't even say that they yep. won the game. But let's go to predictions. Give me your prediction, Mr. Kulong. Or did you 30, give it to me already? I did. 34-17 Chiefs. 34-17. I'm going to go a little bit. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, 65-3. Um, no, I'm not going to go 65-3. to three. <laughs> I'm going to go 125-3. No, uh, I'm not going to go 65-3 to three or 125-3. to three, But I am going to go. I'm going to go 28-13. You know, a, a touchdown and a couple of field goals. And, and I think that the Chiefs take their foot off the pressure. Uh, Before the we do that, though, Lance, can I read the Steelers injury report really quick? It just yes, came out. That. That this might actually change our thoughts because the standout to me is uh, running back Najee Harris did not practice for a second consecutive day uh, with that elbow injury that he suffered early against Baltimore in the win last week. Um, that's probably not a good thing. But Arthur Mallett I... did return to practice on Thursday. Trey Turner was out Thursday after not missing practice on Wednesday. He has a knee injury. Dan Moore practiced fully uh, both days, um, suggesting he's in line to return to the starting lineup. I'm not sure if I'm excited about that or not, but um, that's where they are. Uh, Najee being out, eh, that that's not good. I, you know, he, he's going to play. They need to protect him from himself, and an elbow injury is not a good thing i mean that that's all secure a running back yeah it, it, they're gonna rip your arm off if they know that you have that injury um that's tough i um if you're long on term, line, they long term they shouldn't play him but they have absolutely they, they no no prayer of even moving the ball if he is yeah if he play. doesn't play they get blown out um if you're still in the live chat and you want to give us a prediction please do james g gave us 30 24 steelers true believers and let me wow. just mention, let me just wow. mention that. Now, it's 30. <laughs> I, I just want to define 
And Les Toast Media gave his prediction 27-23 Steelers. Look, we predicted them to be 7-10. and 10. We were wrong. We have since apologized. If they win 30-24, to 24, I will love it. I will celebrate. Neil saw how excited I was prior to the last show when I called him and I was yelling. So I'm a true Steeler fan. We're true Steeler fans. I mean, Neil works in the media or with the, you know, around the Steelers and in the media, so on and so forth. I do a podcast for free. I mean, we can't be more Steeler fans than possible than you possibly can be. I'm from the North side. I'm from one, five, two, three, three Manchester. I'm from like five minutes from the stadium, but we still have eyes. We still watch the games closely. And I think that's what you guys appreciate from us is that we're going to give you our honest opinion. There is a possibility that the Steelers can win the game, but there is a reason why they're 12 and a half point favorites. If I were a gambling man, I would give you the 12 and a half point favorites and I would bet the money line on the Steelers. I would put some money on the Steelers on the money line to try to get the 500 bucks. This is just, a bad matchup for the Steelers. The Steelers getting to the playoffs is just, you know, it's icing on the cake. They didn't expect it. They sexy tanked and they got to the playoffs anyway. Um, so, you know, I just don't think they win this game. I'm not seeing any more predictions coming in. So, Neil, before we get sure. out of here, mm-hmm. is there anything on Steelers wire that you want to point the the fans to? Any breakdown, any X's and O's stuff, predictions, anything sexy for the playoffs that you guys are doing on the site? Can I rant about something really quick? Oh, you something can absolutely we rant, baby. We didn't God, get a chance to push. talk about this. You can I, rant. I wanted, I wanted to get your input as well. Um, my background in football is more scouting and statistics at a team level. Um, I've been trained in terms of scoring a football game before. And with that, I wanted to discuss TJ Watts, apparently controversial non-sack against Baltimore, the one that they uh, initially might have ruled a sack and then eventually um, reversed it. The Steelers appealed uh, the scoring ruling to the league and the league upheld the original ruling, which is that it was not a sack. The level of misunderstanding in regards to how scoring is kept in the NFL was pretty shocking to me this week. The amount of people that openly bitched and complained about why the league did not rule uh, that that to be a sack on TJ Watt when, to be honest, it was about as clear um, a a, a situation as you were going to see as far as what a sack is. So I want to just put this out here now. It was not a sack, one. T.J. Watt did not break the sack record. The league did not take that away from him. Two, Michael Strahan's sack in, in uh, I don't even remember what year that was, 2012, earlier even, on on uh, Brett Favre when Favre the was late, the Packers. The so, yeah, this was like 2006 or something like that. That, unfortunately, per the rules of scoring, was a sack. It's lame. It's cheap. Strahan even wishes it didn't happen that way now because of everything that the people have freaked out over it. But according to the rules, that was a sack. Watts was not a sack. Okay. It just wasn't. Don't look up the rule book. Don't try to argue with me about it. It's not a sack. All right. That's just how they score it. And it, it's not up to your interpretation. 
It's up the interpretations of people who do this for a living, okay? Overall, every pass rusher who accumulates a lot of sacks is probably getting one or two of them that, by the rules, shouldn't be a sack. And T.J. Watt is no different. There are at least two that I can think of off the top of my head that, by the rules, should not have been credited as a sack. One of the four that he got on Mayfield against the Browns was the definition of a team sack. For whatever reason, Mayfield decided to slide uh, behind the line of scrimmage. He was not touched by Watt. He was not tackled by Watt. It wasn't any closer to Watt than he was to Cam Hayward. And everyone failed to recognize the fact they gave him a full sack for that. Shouldn't have been a full sack. Shouldn't have been. A, it should have been a team sack, which means there's, it, there's a number in the sack column that is not in the sum of the individual column, okay? There's a difference. When you call it a team sack, what that means is it was a sack, but it was not forced by any defensive player. There's no one to credit for it. It was the NFL, all of us got there at the same the, time. Yeah, basically. Usually what that indicates is the quarterback screwed up in some way, which is what kind of happened with the Mayfield play. Watt did not force that sack. He did not deserve credit for that sack. So if anything, he's plus one already. But the amount of people who tried to be the rule book warriors and argue over <laughs> why it is that he should be credited with the sack, it was embarrassing. And I just wanted to say this in the forum that I have. It was not a sack, okay? The NFL has now ruled twice that it was not a sack. So shut up about it, okay? It was a 17-game season, and he had three overtime games this year. He did not break the record. He had five quarters in the last game of the year, and he didn't break the record, okay? It didn't happen. He shouldn't have even had 22 and a half. Be happy with the fact that he shares half of that record now. Man, I just realized that when you said the three overtime, they almost played 18 games. Yeah, that's what I mean. He had plenty of opportunity to break it beyond, we need to have this count as a sack. I love TJ Watt. He's the greatest. The league is screwing him. It's bullshit, okay? It just is. You don't know what you're talking about. Please just shut up. That's all I'm asking you to do. TJ Watt did not have a sack on that play. You can't fumble the ball, recover it, get up for a split second and get hit and call it be have it be called a sack. It's just, that's not what a sack is. He has to show intent in some way to throw the ball. And he wasn't even close to that for what the definition of intent is. He, he didn't have the chance to do it. To be honest, the center literally snapped the ball off his own ass. All right. The ball did not get to Huntley in a way that he could recover it. He had to dive on the fumble. And then because there was nobody around him, he tried to get up when he thought he was going to be touched down. That's called an aborted play or an aborted snap. He did not field it cleanly. You are a runner in that situation until you show that you're going to throw the ball. He never had the opportunity to do that. If anything, give Watt credit because Watt came in with a full head of steam and he had the wherewithal to punch the ball out and he hit it perfectly. It was a great force fumble. It was a great play by Watt, but it's a tackle for a loss. It's not a sack. That's just I- it. I think uh, that that is a great rant to end the show. And I want to just mention Double H's uh, statement here. Seriously, I don't see why people think they have a vested interest in someone else's stats. The last time I checked, my name was not TJ Williams. It was Lance (laughs) Williams. So I'm not getting any money from TJ or the Watts. Lance Watt. I am not Lance Watt. I mean, hell, Derek is getting money from TJ. So, I mean, the Watts are fine. Derek, 
you know, Derek is Derek's getting out a contract. Of because of what they're paying. Watt, TJ, the TJ. So, Watt, uh, Watt, Derek Watt's playing his last game, too. It's not just Ben. Keep that in mind. Hayden, Juju, and Derek Watt. <laughs> None of the four yes, of them are coming is. back. Uh, yeah, probably. But with that, we're going to conclude the program. Go Steelers. We love it that they're in the playoffs, man. Anything can happen. That's why you snap the football. That's you why bet. you play the games. And hopefully on Sunday evening, we are eating crow because it is delicious when it is medium rare. And with that, we are going to conclude the program. And as always, tune in, tell a friend, and subscribe. Time for the fake smile. <laughs>